0: Mm-hmm. everybody tonight. Glad you're here. And uh, we're going to take a little while to pray and ask God's blessing on our time. And then we'll get moving and see what God has to say through the word tonight. Father, thanks for uh, just uh, being here. We thank you for your presence. And we never take it for granted that you are here when we gather. And so we welcome you to our midst. We recognize you In our midst, we attune ourselves to you, to your voice, to, God, what you want to show us, what you want to reveal to us. We ask you, God, that we would really be open tonight to receive, we'd be open to hear you. I pray, God, we'd be paying attention to what you want to say. And I ask, God, that um, distractions would be set aside, uh, concerns and cares that Uh, aren't relative to the next hour would be set aside. I pray, God, that uh, we would just focus ourselves on this time, we'd focus ourselves on you. And I ask, God, that you would speak tonight. I pray, God, that we would receive tonight. I ask you, Lord, for something new, uh, something that we've not heard before, something we've not uh, ever really uh, brought into our lives before to be presented tonight. And if I just ask you, Father, that whether it be through uh, a piece of scripture or it be through uh, a point of revelation, whether it be through the teaching, however it is, or a word of prophecy, however it is you want to reveal yourself, however you want to speak to us, I pray that we would be ready to receive and open to what you want to do. So, God, move. We pray your power evident tonight. We pray, God, your anointing evident tonight. And we ask that you'd be glorified here in this place, because we know you like to be glorified, and we ask that you be glorified in this place. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. If you have your Bibles, we're going to open up to uh, the book of Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah, one of the major prophets in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 9. Reminder. Uh, for our podcast listeners, that we have an interactive feature with Bible study, and that is through a website at www.speakpipe.com, that's dot com slash Monday Night Bible Study, all one word. You go there to that webpage, and there's a button that you can toggle, and you can leave us what would appear to be a voicemail. And we'd love to hear from you. you could be just saying, Hi or maybe you have a question about Bible study, or maybe you have a comment, or you just want to tell us where you're from. But we'd love to hear from you. could be something good God's doing in your life. So drop us a line, uh, leave us a message, and we'll endeavor to play that at our next Bible study. There are Bibles available on the table where you're seated, usually. And uh, if not, uh, please open up however you choose to, but Isaiah chapter 9. And I need a volunteer to read verse 7.
1: Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and
0: upholding it with justice and righteousness, from that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. All right, now do you guys recognize this verse from anywhere? Because most of you hear it at least once a year. <laughs> you know when? Yeah, <laughs> Christmas Eve service. It's part of the prophecy about Jesus. It's uh, uh, if you read the whole thing, you can read up above verse seven and after. But uh, really, it's a prophecy about Jesus, a prophecy that was made hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born, but it speaks of the Messiah, it speaks of the Anointed One, it talks about who He is, and it uh, talks a little bit about uh, what His reign and what His kingdom would look like. So, you see a partial fulfillment in the, the accounts we have in the Gospels, and there will be more fulfillment of this as time goes on. So. Uh but Isaiah nine seven is an important piece of a puzzle that God laid out from before the earth was formed. And it was part of a puzzle that would be put together as to his method and to his plan of redemption. And it was just all part of his relationship with us. And how he was going to establish that, how he was going to bring it to pass, some of the means, some of the methods that uh, would He would use to bring us into relationship, into proper relationship with Him. And so in this verse, talks about the throne of David. And the idea of the throne of David is in harmony with the whole body of prophetic tradition. In other words, that's the Messiah. And so when you read about the throne of David, it's talking not just about the chair that David sat on when he was actually the king, but it's also talking about his descendants, talking about those that would come after him, talking about those that would rule in Israel, rule in Judah, after him. And what's described here is the, the dynasty of David, but it's a dynasty in perpetuity. In other words, it doesn't end. And the prophecy that was given to, and the, the word that was given to David, is that there would always be someone that would be seated upon his throne. Now, you see that, if somebody wants to turn here, Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2 and verse 30. This year I'm uh, listening to and reading through a, a new plan for the Bible. I normally do a chronological plan to get a better idea of how everything fits together in time, in actual time, so that when things are happening... In the Old Testament, I'm reading the prophecies that are taking place at the same time that the kings are reigning and, and those type things, or uh, when the book of Philippians was written or whatever book it is, when Paul was actually writing that book in the book of Acts, you know, kind of putting things together in a better idea of chronologically how they actually occurred, because the books of the Bible aren't written, aren't formed together chronologically, so I normally do that. This year, I decided to to do something different, and so I looked up different reading plans. and There's this one plan that I had seen before that I was interested in, and it was a plan that was written up by Professor Horner, whoever he is, probably some big time Bible reading guy or something. I don't know, but he has his own reading plan, and uh, in this reading plan. Uh part of the one of the uh things I've noticed about it, well, actually one of the things that that I'm seeing as it's going through time here, as we from the beginning of the year till now, is that it just keeps it's been repeating the book of Acts. So you get through the book of Acts, you start over with the book of Acts and you go through it again. It's part of the daily reading. And also the book of Proverbs, you start Proverbs one, you go all the way through Proverbs, but then you come back to the beginning again. And so we're going through Proverbs on the second time through and I think on Acts, I'm on a third time through. Started third time through, Acts. And so this was just part of my listening today. Was this verse. though? So somebody want to read that? Uh, Acts chapter 2 and verse 30. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised
1: him an oath that he would place
0: one of his descendants on his throne. All right. So Peter here is preaching and he's talking about David. And, uh, and in, he knew that what God had spoken to David was that there would always be somebody on his throne. And what Peter's getting at in this sermon that he's giving on the day of Pentecost is that Jesus fulfills that. And Jesus is fulfilling that. And Jesus continues to fulfill, fulfill that. And so literally in perpetuity, there is someone on the throne of David. In other words, Jesus is still on the throne. So, uh, what's important about that there's a couple of things important about that. One is that the, it, it describes, and it provides for this continual line of what God is doing. That I think sometimes we like to categorize certain things, certain times, certain periods. Uh, I, I know theologians like to. they like to look at this different uh, what some sides of, of theology call dispensation where they want to say, well, God was doing it this way then, but now He's doing it this way now. And describe different dispensations of how God would do things. Or they they look at, well, this is the God of the Old Testament, New Testament, mean even that kind of a division is kind of interesting to me, because it it divides up the Bible, uh, and and we look at them as two different entities, and yet they're not, uh, at least not to us. Uh, the only way there'd be two different entities is if we were non-believers in Jesus. So in other words, you'd, be, you'd have the Scriptures, and then you'd have the New Testament, or you'd have the Christian writings. But we're Christians, so we believe that it's all Scripture, it's all God-breathed, it's all inspired, and so it is just the Scriptures. And But but somewhere in our mind, or somewhere in, in the theologian's mind, they want to you know categorize everything. Well... What the idea of David's throne does is it draws a line through all that. In other words, these prophecies, you know, they're they're prophecies today. It wasn't just for that time or it wasn't just for the beginning of the early church, but there's still these prophecies that are coming to pass now. There's still prophecies that we're living out right now. There's still things that God said that are still affecting us right now. And so it's important that we keep everything together. Because the ideas that were presented in the Old Testament, what we know as the Old Testament, the ideas that are being presented there, uh, one of the things that you hear me talk about quite a bit is this whole idea of primitive faith. That there there was a time that we can't even measure. Thousands of years where there was no law that was written down and And so, oh, for those thousands of years that there was no law that was written, people still worshiped. I mean, Abraham worshipped, Isaac worshiped, Jacob worshiped, Joseph worshiped, all of the you, you look at all of the patriarchs, they all worshiped, but then even before Abraham, I mean, there were all of the patriarchs that, that were there before Abraham. and And you think about them, you think Adam worshiped. Seth worshipped, Methuselah worshipped, Noah worshipped, Noah's sons worshipped, Enoch worshipped. He had all of these patriarchs that that lived out their lives in the thousands of years that people worshipped. Job worshipped. And there's something to that. There's a truth to that. There's a reality to that. There's a life to that that we need to really embrace as a people that, that that we weren't always told exactly what to do and it was okay. We weren't given a set of rules and regulations and it was okay. In fact for for almost I mean thousands and thousands of years there were no rules and regulations in the sense that we know them. And and the whole time that, that when when God laid down and, and gave out the law at Sinai to a people that had lived just just lived in Egypt for 400 years, were coming out of Egypt. they were free. They'd been in slavery for 400 years. And here they were traveling across the wilderness. It would take them 40 years to get to where they were going, and God gave them this code. Gave them this law. And then you look from the time of Moses onward, and, and, and the idea that, well, that's the way God does things. Well, for thousands of years, there was nothing that was written down like that. Nothing. It was okay. People still managed to worship. People still managed to live their lives. People still managed to respond to God. People still managed to hear God people still manage to go about the business that God gave them to do. They still manage somehow. And for us to put ourselves in a consistent and constant position where, well, I just want to be told what to do. That wasn't how God made us. That wasn't how God, you know, set us from the very beginning. He set us as a people who are free. He set us as a people of liberty to respond to Him, to seek Him, to worship Him. That's how we were made. And that's how He he, he purposed things to be from the very start. And you can say, well, what about the fall? What about the fall? After the fall, Adam still worshiped God. Still did. Seth still worshiped God. And go right down through the patriarchs, through Noah and all the patriarchs, they still worshiped God. They still served God. They still loved God. They still heard from God. God was still manifesting Himself through the miraculous. There was still revelation that was coming during those times. I mean, there were powerful times of encounters with God all during that time. And and if you look at it, and, and I, I, I do believe this, and I'm sure somebody could argue with me all they want about it, but I think... You know, this whole idea, once the law took root in people, it killed, in many, many ways, it killed that spontaneous and free faith that people had. And I think there's enough evidence in the New Testament, even from the Pharisee of Pharisees, Paul himself, writing to other Pharisees and other Jewish Christians that were trying to reimpose the law on the Gentile Christians, I think there's enough written there that would indicate that he believed that to be the case also. And so for the church to run back to the legalistic, for the church to run back to the law is the wrong way to go. It's just the wrong thing to do. And those of you that came out of some traditions that may have been more old-timey traditional, you're going to need to really rethink some of that. Because they resemble the Old Testament law more than they do the freedom that comes by the Spirit of God. And you may want to rethink that. You may want to rethink what you've put your trust in, what you find safe, what you find secure. You may want to rethink it. Because I I don't think that we were called to necessarily live in that place that we might consider safe. Because in being safe, you will die of boredom. You will die of stagnation in the spiritual river that God has for us to live in. And, And I really believe, too, that that's something that has hindered the church from really moving forward and being the church. Paul had to deal with it in the early church just by letting people know that's just not how God's doing things. And he had the authority to do it, and he did it. And I think in some ways we have to have some type of a, a new revelation that that's not how it's going to be done. And that's not how it is done. I think mistakes need to be made. I think there needs to be problems for us to grow and live. I think there needs to be times where, you know, people go off the deep end a little bit. Okay. At least you're alive. At least you're alive. You're alive enough to go off the deep end. Good. Rather than being dead. Because, I mean, dead people don't go up the deep end. They just lay there. Nice and quiet. They never do anything wrong. And if that's what you're worried about, doing anything wrong, well, you're better off dead. You'll never do anything wrong. You just lay there. It's never messy. It's never rude. It's never the wrong thing. It's never offensive. never hurts anybody's feelings never challenges anybody, never gives the wrong impression, never sins. It's just dead. And we're really called to life. And as much as that creates uh, opportunities for mistakes and excesses and the wrong thinking or the wrong saying or a bad word being said during a church service or or something horrible that could possibly happen like that, because God knows that's the worst thing that could possibly happen, it's easier just to be dead. And if you understand what I'm saying, you understand what I'm saying. I don't want to be dead. I just don't want to be dead. I want to be alive. And I want to begin to see how God, from the very beginning to now, has been doing His thing. And He continues to want to do that thing in us. So in this passage in Isaiah, this prophecy, it talks about that. That's what He's talking about. He's talking about He's doing His thing, but He's doing it in us. He wants to do it in us. That's what's being prophesied here. Because Isaiah, He's looking back to David. He's like, David's throne will win now. Wins now? Well, whenever now is. When he was around 400 years before Jesus, now. 400 years later, there was Jesus. When was that? Now. 2,000 years after Jesus. When is it? It's still now. This is the prophecy. This is what he's saying. And he's saying the guarantee of it, and and what he's describing here is guaranteed by God's love for us. That's what guarantees it. God still loves us. And He's going to continue to still love us. He demonstrates His love for us. And that becomes the guarantee. He purposes great things for His people. He has so many good things. He has so many great things that He has for our life going off into the future. And that which He proposes will be performed. See, His love, and that word guarantee... It means to make things sure. In other words, you don't have to wonder about it. You don't have to wonder, oh, I wonder if this is really going to come to pass. Well, it is going to come to pass. How do you know that? Because God still loves us. God's still pouring out His love. God's still pouring out His love into our lives. We can, most of us, if not all of us, can point to times, events, situations, circumstances in our life where we experience the love of God. And that love that He continues to show us, that love that we can see and that we can feel and that we can hear and that we can experience in our lives, that love guarantees guarantees the great things that He has for us. It sets them. It makes them sure. And when, I, when I'm talking about God's love, I'm talking about it's, a, it's an absorbing love. It's just absorbing. It, it, it's something that... It, it's a fervent affection that He has for us. And and you can't diminish it because it's so great. You can't... Any, any kind of words that begin to diminish His love for us, they're doing it a disservice because he, he has a fervent affection toward us. He has a fervent affection toward His Son. He has a fervent affection toward His own glory. Because He is glorified. And He will be glorified. And whether or not there was a person on the face of the earth that was willing to praise God, worship God, and glorify Him, what did Jesus say? The rocks would cry out. That's right. He will be glorified. Whether you decide to do it or not, He will be glorified. He has a fervent affection Toward that. He has a fervent affection toward His Son. I mean, do you question that? That He has a fervent affection toward Jesus? I mean, most of us don't. But He does. He has a fervent affection toward His Son. He loves the Son. The Father loves the Son. The Son loves the Father. Well, that same fervent affection that He has toward those two things, He has toward you and toward me. And you have to be careful in your life not to diminish that. You have to be be careful not to diminish that fervent affection that God has toward you. Because in doing so, you begin, and you don't realize you're doing this, but if you diminish the fervent affection that God has toward you, at the same time you're going to diminish the fervent affection that He has toward the Son. And at the same time, you're going to diminish the fervent affection he had toward, towards His own glory. Which, that's not your business. So, all you can do is pretend He doesn't love you that much. All you can do is run away and deceive yourself that He doesn't love you that much. But you know what? It doesn't diminish it one bit in reality. He loves you that much. He has that much affection toward you. And it is that affection that guarantees His word about what He wants to do in and through your life. That's that word about your future. That's that word about who He's called you to be. That's that word about who He says you are in Him. It's the same word. And it's that fervent affection that guarantees that, that makes it sure. Jesus was born... And there's no other reason. I want you to just think about this. Jesus was born for your benefit. For my benefit. For our benefit. For our welfare. That's why He was born. There's no other reason for Jesus to come into the world. None. I, I would guess that the Word of God was pretty happy in heaven. Alright? That would be my guess. That, that he was He was happy there. He was satisfied there. Everything's good there. Alright? But He became... He took on flesh. Why? For your benefit. For my benefit. Well, that shows a practical affection toward us. Somebody willing to leave a a, a place of perfection to take upon imperfection. A place of perfection to take upon flesh. A, a place of perfection to take upon you know eventually the sins of the world as a weight upon himself. Somebody willing to do that cares about you, loves you, has an affection toward you, toward me. He was born for our benefit. He was born for our welfare. And we don't want to diminish that. I mean, we just don't. I think it's really weird when we diminish things that people do for us. You know, somebody goes out of their way to help us, or somebody goes out of their way to sacrifice on our behalf, somebody goes out of our way to give, somebody goes out of our way to do whatever it is they're going to do, for us to diminish that is kind of weird. And I don't know why we do that. And you may be looking at me like, what do you mean? Well, what I mean to be like, you know, somebody gives you something, or somebody, let's say somebody, uh, you know, is coming by, and you call them and they're like, yeah, I got a flat tire, can you help me change the tire? Yeah, 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 I'll be over there in a few minutes. Um, okay, and they come to help you ch- uh, change the tire. Now, that was a, a good thing. They care about you. They're willing to help you. And they, came, they gave their time, their effort, and whatever else they gave to make sure that you got your tire changed. Well, well, and I, know, I don't know if you do this, you've heard people do this, but I've heard people do this. They say, well, they were probably on their way out anyway. Now, why would I say that? Who am I trying to make feel better? Yeah, but why do I need to make myself feel better? I should feel pretty good that someone would go out of their way like that and help me out, right? Doesn't that that show that I'm cared for? Doesn't that show that somebody likes me? Doesn't that show that somebody's willing to sacrifice and, and willing to help me out? Why would I want to diminish that? And yet there's something in some of us that we want to make ourselves feel better. Oh, I didn't want to put them out. So maybe he was heading this way anyway, so I'll just believe he was heading this way anyway, and he really didn't go all that far out of his way. Yeah. Yeah, hate yourself much? Uh-huh. Really? you got to let people... you got to let God love you. You really do. And I don't know how to you convince you of that. I don't even know how to 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 spur you on toward that. All I'm telling you is that you gotta let God love you. You gotta let people love you. And you gotta see it for what it is. There's somebody, that's showing their love for you, receive it. It's good. You don't need to diminish that. You don't need to diminish someone's effort. You don't need to diminish someone's sacrifice. You don't need to diminish any of that. It is what it is. And, and the real truth of it has to do with the love that that demonstrates. The real truth of it has to do with the care that that demonstrates. The real truth of it has to do with how much that person actually cares about you. Receive it. Be willing to receive that. There's nothing noble about diminishing the love of someone else toward you. Nothing. There's nothing noble about that and there's nothing right about it. Nothing. In fact, it, it, it's insulting. It's insulting. To do so, and and I don't I don't know about you, but that's not really on my list of things to do is to insult people that care about me, whether you mean to or you don't. And so I I want to put it into that perspective so that you can keep that in mind. Keep it in mind when when people show care for you. Keep it in mind when people show love for you. Keep it in mind when people show sacrifice, and and they're demonstrating that kind of care over your life. Keep it in mind. Don't diminish that, but receive it. Feel good about that. Especially when it's stuff that you didn't do anything to earn. In other words, somebody just comes along and everyone you ask for help, they help you. Or they see you need something and they provide it or whatever it is. Don't diminish that. Receive it. And receive that love one from another. It talks about the kingdom that is in perpetuity. I mean, right now, Isaiah's prophesying. He prophesied again, four hundred years before Jesus, or however long, well, 100 years before Jesus. Then that word is. Coming to pass during the time of Jesus, and this is still the time of Jesus, 2,000 years later. Still coming to pass. And this Word is bringing all of this together. That's what it's bringing together. This is to our benefit. This is to our growth. This is to our relationship with God that He's provided for. And so it talks about that kingdom. It talks about that rule and reign. Jesus talked about the kingdom all the time. And and he went to great lengths so that the people that he was talking to wouldn't misunderstand the word kingdom. Because what he wanted them to understand is that there had been some misinterpretation of what had been spoken from times past. In other words, you would read certain things from the prophets and people wanted to hear a very specific thing. What they wanted to hear was is that there was going to be some major political upheaval and that the Messiah was going to be this political and military leader and lead them from under oppression from their enemies and that they were, they were going to be the rulers and the reigners and they were going to be the ones that were going to be the ones that were going to be taken over. That's what they wanted to hear. And so in their minds, they, they focused their minds on what they wanted to hear and they were looking for a Messiah. And, and their idea of a Messiah was someone a military leader, political leader, someone that was gonna do something really awesome in the nation of Israel. But that wasn't really what Isaiah had said. That wasn't what had been prophesied. That wasn't what was prophesied to David, and that wasn't really what at all what Jesus was saying. And so he went to great lengths to correct that. And that's what you read about in the gospels when he's talking about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is like. You hear him say that? Well, he wants them to understand what the kingdom of God is like. In other words, not like what you think. That's what he wanted to say. You know, that's what he wanted to hear. This is not what you, you think it is. Here's what it really is. This is not what you were taught. This is what it really is. And he went to great lengths to do that. You know what one of the last questions that were asked him before he ascended into heaven in Acts chapter 1? Anybody know? Yeah. Alright, so one of the last questions the disciples asked him, he's about, to go, he's about to go up into heaven, about to ascend into heaven. Is this the time when you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? It was the very thing he went the length to tell them this is not what I'm doing. This is not it, but that was one of the last questions he was asked, and I can't help but wonder if he really thought to himself, "Wow, after all that, we're back to this question." What about the but 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 what about the kingdom? Yeah, I know you're about to ascend into heaven. Something we've never seen before. You're going to ascend into heaven. You were dead. You rose from the dead. You've been teaching us for the last 50 days and you're about to ascend into heaven but we're going to go back to a question. Why? 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 Because that's what's in their head. That's how strong that is, right? What's in your head? That's how strong it is. So he goes to great lengths to say, all right, this is the kingdom. And so I'm going to stay in Isaiah and we'll look a little bit at what he says in the gospel. So I'm going to stay in Isaiah because that's 400 years before and we're drawing that line to today. That this is the kingdom. And the first thing about the kingdom that we see that to our benefit, to our welfare uh, of Jesus' rule and reign, because that's what kingdom means, rule and reign. Jesus is ruling and reigning right here and right now. Jesus is ruling and reigning in our hearts, and our lives. As much as we'll let him, he's ruling and reigning. As much as we submit to him. So what does that mean? Well, what it means is, is that his rule and reign isn't limited. His rule and reign has to do with you. It doesn't have to do with geopolitical borders. It doesn't have to do with time. It doesn't have to do with where you're at or when you're at. None of that. It just has to do with you. And it just has to do with your response to him. You know, we, we have a whole philosophy of evangelism based on these ideas. Yeah. And it's a philosophy of evangelism that works everywhere in the world. Because it's based on your response. It's not based on where you live. It's not based on your language. It's not based on whether or not you're living under oppression, you're living under freedom. It's not based on whether or not you're an Islamic republic. It's not based on whether or not you're, you're living in a, a communist uh, lockdown or anything else. It has to do with you. And, and that's the nature of his kingdom. It has to do with you. Because he said that. He's like, well, what's the kingdom? They said, well, people will look here for it, there for it. In other words, that's places, right? No. They'll try to weigh it. They'll try to measure it. They're going to try to quantify it like it's some physical thing, but it's not. And that's how he answered him in Luke 17. He's like, that's not what the kingdom is. And he ended up that whole statement after going through all things is not. He's like... You're not going to look here, you're not going to look there, you're not going to see it here, you're not going to see it there, hear it, weigh it, whatever, measure it. You're not going to do any of those things. Why? You know how I ended that? Because the kingdom of God is in you. That's why. The rule and reign of God has to do with you. In a response. So, the first part of this kingdom is peace. And it's our peace. And kind of interestingly, there's a couple words here that are used for his kingdom. And that is peaceable and happy. Peaceable and happy. That's his kingdom. Peaceable and happy in us. And so his peaceable and happy government, in other words, if you want to interject that word government or kingdom, that is where? In us. Alright, as we allow it. So His rule and reign in us is peaceful and happy. The, the, what Isaiah says here is that it will expand without end. It expands without end. Where? In you. In me. For it expands. It expands without end. And you can think of this a couple of different ways. You can think of this as individually, like in me, it, there's no end to it. In other words, we don't reach the end. We don't reach the limit of His peace and we don't reach the end of His happiness in our lives. We just don't. There's no end to it. In other words, you can always have more peace, and you can always be more happy. Unless, of course, as I discussed earlier, your ultimate peace and happy is being dead. Because there is an end to that. Dead. Dead. And so I'm trying to encourage you away from the, the, the dead idea, moving your way, toward a kingdom, a rule and reign in you that is, doesn't have a limit, has no end to it, and you can get more peace and you can get more happiness every day. In other words, as happy as you are today, you can be happier tomorrow. And I know some of you are thinking, that wouldn't be a real feat. All right, right. That's okay, though. All right, we'll start low and move upward, okay? We'll start at a low spot, but no, there's more. There's more happiness than what you feel right now. There's more peace than what you feel right now. It doesn't matter what state you're in, I can confidently make that statement. Because I'm not making that statement. Isaiah made that statement. And it wasn't just Isaiah that made that statement, but other prophets made that statement, and Jesus made that statement. And so in perpetuity, what we're seeing is this rule and reign in us producing something that has no end to it in our lives. So there's always something to look forward to. I'm really happy, you could say, theoretically today. Well, you know what? There's more happiness. I could be more happy tomorrow. What? Yeah. I have a lot of peace today. Well, you can have more peace tomorrow. That's some crazy stuff. But true. That yeah, we can't reach the end of it. We can't reach the end of it. And, and that, that's a truth that I, I think we need to have. That there's nothing stagnant about it. It's living. We're living. And so what God is doing us is a, in us is a living thing. And so His peace and his, 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 his happiness are living things in us. And see, so on the other side of it, you know, who is this for? for anybody. There's no limit to it. There's no end to it. Who can respond to Jesus? Literally. Anybody. Anybody. To the ends of the earth for all time. To the ends of the earth for all time, an individual, anybody can respond to him. It's not limited to any geographic location. It's not limited to any language. It's not limited to any culture. It's not limited to to any one particular kind of people. It's for everybody. Anybody who's willing to receive to whoever. Whoever and, and you look at Paul, right? whoever whoever believes, or you know whoever confesses, whoever, and, and there's always those words that are used like in the book of Romans when he's describing the gospel. It's whoever. There's no limit, there's no end. So there's no end in us as to how deep can this peace go, deeper, how, how, how exuberant, how happy can we be, happier. Then what? You name it. It can go anywhere. Anywhere. And so we have a universal message. We have a universal truth. We have a universal idea and concept and move in us that's going on and ongoing all the time. What else did he talk about? He talking about peace and happiness. Well, he talking about safety. He talks about his, that, that his, his rule and his reign in us is prosperous, wide, extended, ever-growing, and it's unlimited. We have an unlimited empire of peace in us. Safety seems to be an important thing to people. Some people more than others. But safety seems to rank up there with, with people. And and we're safe in Him. We just are. And, and and that's kind of a weird statement because all of His disciples, they were killed for their faith. Except John, but he was in prison. But they were all killed for their faith. But did that mean they weren't safe? And And maybe that's going to require us to have a different idea about what safety is. I can remember in the early days of this current uh pandemic that we're in, that our governor made a statement. He's like, Well, I know these rules and regulations are really bad, but I mean, they keep you from dying. I mean, what's worse than death? Nothing's worse than death. That's what he said. Uh, But we all know, and history teaches us, that there are lots of things worse than death. And that concept of there being things worse than death has driven us as a nation, the nation I happen to be sitting in right now, to fight and to die for certain things because there were certain things more important than death. And we used to know that. And so I guess I want to just make a quick statement on that is that there are things worse than death. There are, there are fates worse than dying. And the early church understood that, and they didn't count that in on the safety clause. Alright? The safety clause has more to do with your peace, has to do with the rest of your heart in where you are. Knowing that there's something greater and there's something better and that God has you. There's a verse in John chapter 10, if somebody wants to look at that. John chapter 10, read verses uh, 28 and 29. And just to be sure, I'm submitting that that our governor was wrong on that statement. (laughs) As is proven by history. And anybody that has a third grade level knowledge of American history. So, proceed. John, chapter 10. And give them
1: eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hands. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's
0: hands. Alright. Now, that verse, that verse, and those verses there, they're not telling you that you'll never die. Do you see that? you understand what those verses are saying? Those verses are saying that you can rest in the fact that you're in God's hands. You're in His hands. And that you have something greater than physical life. You have eternal life. And so whatever happens to you, whatever would happen to them, they can rest in the fact that it didn't happen to them because they got snatched out of the Father's hand. They can rest in the fact they weren't snatched out of Jesus' hand. But they are safe in His hand. They'll remain safe in His hand. And they have been given eternal life, something greater than the physical life that they were now living. And so they could rest and they could find peace in that. That's what those verses say. And every one of those guys that He was speaking to, except for John the Beloved, died. Died because of their faith in him and their witness to him, but you know what? They lived forever. They suffered a physical death, but they were never snatched out of the Father's hand, and they were never snatched out of Jesus' hand, ever. And so they could find rest in that. You look at the the you look at the, the Stephen, the deacon, Stephen, and you look at his speech when he's about to be stoned to death. And you look at what he had to say and you look at how he met that end of his physical life. I think he had an understanding. He wasn't being snatched out of anybody's hand. That we could find our safety in Jesus. Our safety in the Father. Our safety in the eternal life that He gives, our safety, finding peace in His hand, no matter what that brings. The third thing He talks about in His kingdom, going from Isaiah to Jesus to us right now, is security. And that is true security. And it's right along with safety. And and it's, it's that whole idea is that Jesus, he, he wants to rule in us, but He doesn't do it through oppression or tyranny, because those are the ways of man. And this goes back to what I was saying about people that they they want to, they, they cry out to be ruled over. I learned that early on in ministry, uh, Christian ministry, that people want to be told what to do. They just do they want to be ruled over. They want that, that, that idea, that the oppression, the tyranny that man can bring. Interestingly, another part of the Bible that I'm reading through right now is part of the reading series in First Samuel when the people of Israel called out, cried out for a king. And Samuel said, hey, you don't want a king. Because they're going to take your sons and they're going to Put them in the army. And they're going to send them off to fight wars they have nothing to do with. And they're going to die. And they're going to come. And they're going to take the best of your animals for themselves. The kings are. And you're going to be left with whatever you're left with. And they're going to tax your land. And they're going to take the best of your fruit of your land. And the best of your crops. And they're going to take your money. And they're going to take your houses. And they're going to do all of these things. They're going to oppress you. All these things are what kings are going to do, because that's what they do. For such is how man rules over man. Samuel told them all that. You know what they said? We want a king. Even though, you know, all those things are the fact they still cried out for a king. And I, I, I can only say this, is that we need to get out from under that got to get out from under that. That mentality, that spirit, you need to get out from under it. Because you weren't created with that spirit in you. You were not. None of us were. Adam and Eve were not created with that spirit in them. They weren't. And even though that part, there may be a part of us that cries out, that, that part of us needs to be Defeated. We need to be delivered from that because we weren't created that way. And that's not what God put in us. You see, He wants to rule in us. It's His kingdom. It's His throne. It's what was prophesied in Isaiah all the way down through Jesus to right now. But He doesn't rule with tyranny and He doesn't rule with oppression because those are the ways of man, but He wants to bring order, He wants to bring rest, He wants to bring His glory into our lives, no end to peace and happiness, and the idea that it talks about His kingdom in Isaiah, the word there is is a word that we would translate as being principality. Well, that makes sense, He's the Prince of Peace. And He wants to rule in us with peace. And He wants to rule in us with happiness and prosperity. Ever-growing. Ever-extending. Unlimited. There's a future that He has for us. And He wants us to live in that. That's what He has for us. We can't keep clamoring for slavery. You need to be delivered from that spirit. Because that's not how we were created. Created to be free. We're created to live in liberty. And that's just not me talking, you know, that's not patriotic. That's Bible. That's his Bible. That's his God. That's how he created us from the start. And, and the rest of that, and and all that sin brings into our life, we can be delivered from that. And I want to, i want to weep for that. Got one more verse, Matthew chapter thirteen. Matthew chapter thirteen, verse thirty-one. Keep going. No, it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds can come and perch in its branches. All right. If you ever grow anything, starts off not looking like it ends up. That's the way it is. So you put it in the ground, you water it, something pops up, still don't look like it's going to end up. Keep watering, it grows up, some still don't look like it's going to end up. And eventually, if you let it grow long enough, it grows up, looks like what's going to end up, and then it becomes what it is. Kingdom of Jesus, his principalities like that. Don't give up because it doesn't look like it's going to look when it's done. Don't give up. Don't go back to oppression and slavery because it doesn't just pop out of the ground and appear like it's going to be at the end. Have a little faith. You got faith and believe for a garden, right? It pops up, eventually works out. I mean, if you leave it alone, something will grow. But have a little faith. Take a moment and pray. Heavenly Father, I, I pray first off, I ask God for your deliverance over us. I pray a deliverance from oppression. I pray a deliverance from a spirit of slavery. Over us, you created us to be free, to live freely. You created us to live at liberty. And so I pray that you would deliver us from the darkness of slavery and that oppression that comes with it. I pray, God, that you would open our hearts, open our spirit. To live as free men and women. To not clamor to be told what to do. But to live in a free relationship with you. Jesus, I thank you that you are the Prince of Peace and your principality as we will receive the principality of peace and happiness without end in us, in me. And so God, I thank you that it's in that place where we find safety, it's in that place where we find security, it's in that place where we find rest, it's in that place where we find joy, it's in that place where we find purpose in that place where we find our future. It's in that place where we are productive and life-giving to those we come into contact with. So God, tonight, thanks. Thanks for your love, stamping us with a surety and a guarantee. Thanks for your love tonight. I just want you to take a moment and just pray for some cleansing over your mind. For some things that maybe you need to let go of. I touched on a few things tonight that may have sparked some thought or some ideas about some of the things that you're holding on to that just aren't Jesus, that you need to really ask for some cleansing for. And I I want you to ask for the cleansing, not me. I mean, I'll pray for deliverance over us, which I've already done, but I want to encourage you to pray for some cleansing tonight. And just receive that. Okay, yeah, of course, over a line that I've chosen to accept the belief. Jesus.
1: Yeah. Thank you, Lord.
0: Thanks, Lord. Jesus, thanks that you make all these things sure. Thanks for loving us. Give you thanks tonight, in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as you gather for the purpose of life in Christ. No, me and Christ are homies. That's good. He's really cool, you uh-huh. know. He's super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways, so musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What he you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of the faith community, like the comunidad. Well, there's a lot of people. Yeah. No. Started in 1997.